Welcome to EU Code Week podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. Hello, everyone. We are Ariana Blasic from Croatia and Eugenia Casariego from Spain. We are your host today, but before we get started, here's a quick introduction from our part, just to get to know us a little bit, Ariana. I'm a teacher trainer. And I'm an educational expert. And of course, we are both part of the EU Code Week team. And we are both passionate about digital technologies, teaching and education. With this series of podcasts, we'd like to contribute to changing education in Europe and adapting it to the challenges of our time. In today's episode, we're going to look at different aspects of open source and free source programming. The main one, for example, what's the difference between the two? And as well, how can you teach it to your students and how to get started to teach this to your students? We want to bring open source programming a bit closer to you, our listeners, and to see how we can bring these programming languages to your classroom, to your students, and how this can enhance learning. And as well, we want to set a bit of light into open source programming and try to discover a little bit what are the limitations and what are the critical points of open source programming. We want to speak about open source programming with our guest, Horst Jens from Austria, a podcaster and teacher of open source game programming from Vienna. Horst, welcome. How are you today? Molim Ariana, hola Eugenia, thanks, I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Very happy as well to have you here with our horse. Uh, thanks as well for joining us. Um, so the first question I have for you. So I know a few programming languages that are considered open source, like Python or Java, for example. And both of these are actually open source listeners. Um, they can be manipulated or openly checked by the public. However, I understand that this is a bit more complex than what I've defined, right? Horstel, to be considered an open source language, uh, the program should meet certain characteristics. Um, is it so? Can you tell us a bit more about um, There's a difference if as, um, a programming language, uh, which is generally a software, is open source or if it's free software, in the meaning uh, from Richard Salman, free libre open source software. I assume uh, you were referring to the letter, so you mean uh, free software. If a software is just open source, technically it just means that someone can look in the source code. But it does not mean that you have any additional rights, like that you can use it for free. Oh, that's a very good point, because indeed I was totally confused in both terms. Circling back to the question, yeah, we were wondering, how can we define it? This means you, you have uh, four basic freedoms, and this is the uh, freedom to look in the source code, how it is made, that you can improve it and modify it, also play around it, or make improvement, and then that you can copy it and share it, also give it to others, uh, especially give it to others with your improvings, without that you need a license or that you need some uh, certification of someone or approving process, and of course that you can use it as you want. 
So like that there's no designs um, to it that uh, this is like you find it often in general teaching material, for example, you find often that they say you can use this in your classroom, but it does not mean that you can use it for commercial enterprise. When you start a company or a startup or let's say a non-profit initiative, then it's not clear if you can use this software for free anymore. And only if you have these four core freedoms, we, we speak about uh, free libre so software and programming language. And I think this is especially in teaching situations, especially in state-founded public school teaching, a very important point that ideally you should not teach with taxpayer money uh, your students to learn programming language, uh, which is owned by some uh, company. So generally, I think this is uh, something that should be avoided. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, but indeed it's a political perspective, but not less necessary. And it's good to be aware of it and it's good to, to point it out as well. Yeah, that what exactly it means. Free software means you can, without asking anyone, make localized versions or make uh, teaching materials that is uh, localized, let's say in Croatian or Slovenian or some minor language that is maybe not popular enough or not widespread enough for a company to provide official support. When you make programming handbooks, uh, let's say you teach uh, in your classroom computer programming in, let's say, Scratch or so, and then you modify a localized version that serves the needs of your local community who maybe has some uh, minority language in your country or some, even some dialect, uh, then you can do that. And you can change the program so that the menu points and even the, the program itself, the message boxes, is all in this localized language. And if it's free software, you can do this without asking anyone. Actually, you, you can get help uh, from others and let's say, hey, come on, let's make the Catalan version of, of our software. Uh, to give a non-programming language analogy, let's say you are basic computer teachers, you must teach text processing and, and spreadsheet work to your students in a school. And then you say, I want to use LibreOffice because this is free and it's open source and it's translated in my language and so on and so on. And then the parents come and, and say, look, I want that my boy learns Microsoft Word. I don't care for your ideologic perspective. I'm ready to pay here. <laughs> First, what kind of games uh, do they create, the students, the kids you teach? This is a super question. Typically, they have a game in mind that they play all the time or that they know from some other devices and then they want to recreate this game. And typically they fail because <laughs> it's a, a professional game, has several man years that you need. And then it depends on the skill and how focused they are at one idea. What I observe is that often when they know a bit programming, that they are very unfocused or let's say very creative and pursue many ideas at once and usually with the result that not many projects finish but they learn a lot in this project but uh, typically depending on the skill i start with text mode so like you can make a little snake game or a little dungeon crawler in text mode and then we update, uh, update to two-dimensional graphics like old video games from the 90s and then when they stay long enough uh, we play with a 3d engine and uh, try to do something with 3d graphics the interesting thing is that all the time see very old game concepts come again in more modern optic and then i say but this is a, such a boring game this is uh, like you you just run through a forest and they say yes it's super boring but everyone in the class plays it so sometimes the popularity of a game has nothing to do with the complexity or with the technical level that you need to make it so it has completely different reasons why any idea is fascinating and often i must say i'm, I'm too old 
And I think it uh, teaches them as well about the idea that when you're programming, what uh, what matters is the use, the end of the user, right? And whether the user will actually use it. <laughs> yes, yes. Not so much how it looks from your side. Tell us a bit about what's some impressive games that your students have developed? What's something that you remember like, wow, that was really amazing and that your students develop now? I'm very curious to hear. I was most impressed uh, when they, we have a national competition in Austria. It's called uh, Ars Electronica. Every student can apply his game or his electronic uh, presentation. Sometimes it's only a PowerPoint presentation or a little film. Some years my students won, and then they were, of course, very impressed. So I was impressed that they win, and, and we always try to game, the, to game this competition, also to think what is the composition of the juries, how many women are there, how many technicians are there, how many music teachers are there, how, what could we do? to win again next year so this is this is funny and of course we are very happy if, if we manage uh, a win but actually i'm most impressed if, if a very simple idea is good executed it's, it's hard to describe but if a, an idea that looks on paper like nothing like okay you have a room and you have a little sprite and it moves from left to the right and must find the exit and there's a small labyrinth but if it's clean executed and the graphic are in a corresponding cuteness level then suddenly strange people come and say oh nice game and i want to play this gives a very huge emotional push what are some skills that your students develop aside from just coding typing here and there I think the most valuable thing is you learn how to tackle a very complex problem, like that you are in a program language that you actually don't know at all or not know very good, and that you understand, okay, this is the help side, uh, here I get the information, uh, this is the way how I ask in an official forum a question without being unpolite, without repeating a question that was already asked many times. Uh, this is how I take an example from a documentation or from someone else and how I adapt it to my needs. This is how I hunt down a bug, why is something not working, so that at least I can ask a meaningful question in a forum. Uh, and I think this, these are the professional skills that, that I try to teach. Indeed, computational thinking, which I think summarizes a bit that it's super important nowadays. And this is something that in Code Week we try to produce a lot of resources on. And in the end, what we try to disseminate in our community is that the teaching of computational thinking indeed. And this is why we created several resources. Is there an age limit to learn gaming programming, for example? I don't think that there is an age limit. I think the best indicating is if a child expresses the wish to, to create own game and, and is typing on the keyboard even if the screen is not connected and is a strong hint that maybe he wants to do something in this direction. I often see the other side that parents uh, tell me my boy is so gifted or my girl is so gifted and she wants to make her own computer games and I, I say, okay, uh, let's make a free trial hour and I speak without parents. And then I see they are zero interested, so the, the wish is maybe only in the mind of the parent, but not in the child at all, because they have different interests at the moment. From my experience, what for me as a teacher is comfortable is starting with 10 years old. Most professionals I speak with started to learn coding in their puberty, also so around 13 years plus minus so let's say between 10 and 16 is usually the age. I say that the golden age is you have, as a man, uh, if you're around 13, you have no job, no girlfriend, and live at home. 
but your parents, you have all the time in the world, and then school is not too demanding, then you can read three programming books a month, it's no problem. If a child comes to, to your school and has no experience with Python or any other programming languages, what would be the open source programming language that you would start with? Personally, if it's 10 years old and I assume it has minimal level of English, then I would uh, start with Python directly. But this is because I love Python. Um, I have experimented with Pocket Code. Um, uh, this is an Android app. It's now also running on iPhone. This is a bit like Scratch, but on a smartphone. So you move blocks who symbolize the commands. But every child has a smartphone, so we can now go in a classroom and, and teach this. The reality was, was not so good, but I still think it's a super interesting concept. In the end, I think uh, it should be a language that the teacher loves, because when the teacher struggles with the language, uh, you cannot expect a much good outcome. <laughs> and given that when you start in a young age, like the child the students are 10 years and they enter professional work life eight years later, so much will change that it is really not so important which language you, you start with. Also, I must say that the differences between the programming languages on a basic level uh, for introduction to programming are not so huge. You mean that you, you start more or less on the same way with each programming language, like it's the same level of difficulty to get started? Correct. And you notice before, Codewig EU tries to teach computational thinking, to divide a problem into logical blocks and then tackle them. And this is the skill behind, and this is the, the most important that you teach. And which, which language you use is... I think it's, when you're an enthusiastic teacher, I think you do good. They learn 90% from your personality and from the way you act. And if they see you excited and you, you think this is super cool and you can give this enthusiasm to your students, then you do good. Colleagues of mine teach in public schools and they, uh, during three years, try to introduce them to three different uh, programming languages, like Python, JavaScript, and Java or something. And if, I think it's super. Then with 18, you have a already well-rounded background and you can even compare, aha, in this language I made it so, and here I made it so, why not? I mean. And what are the benefits of students learning how to use GitHub and how to share their code and use other people's code? The one technical side is the child learns the industry standard of sharing code and how to get code from others and um, how to quickly ask a question by linking to the GIST, uh, or GitHub page and how to present a project. This is the technical side. The far more important part is the feeling that when you code, you're not alone. You don't do this for your teacher or for your classroom. You're actually part of a community. And let's say you make here a game. Then I can say, look, actually, you fork this game. You stay on the shoulders of gigants. Others did something before you. You can now use this open source engine. You can now become part of a community. And you can, can get an idea uh, that actually you are ve something very powerful because uh, um, you are more stronger than any company in the world because you can assess thousands of high-qualified people or artists who will help you and who will enjoy what you do. And, and of course, this is very hard to teach, but uh, it's possible. This is extremely important, and this is also what we teachers feel when we are part of this Code Week community. We can feel that there are our people, that we can share our ideas with them and get inspired by theirs. So it's the same. It's, uh, I think we can easily relate to that, and I think it's of the utmost importance in today's world.
maybe not something that you teach per se, the feeling of this, but just uh, you teach by practice, right? So if you encourage your students to join these communities, to join GitHub, to share their code, to learn from others, to ask questions and so on, then I think you don't need to teach it. They see the value for themselves. But it's very interesting that you incorporate this in your classes as well. And as Ariana said, it's something that in code we, we try to foster the feeling of community. And this is why we call ourselves a community, because we try to bring people together to get them to share as well and to share resources. Uh, Guinea, I'm, I'm not completely your opinion. I think you, you must teach this feeling of community. Uh, it is not a goes from alone. Just because someone creates a GitHub account and you explain him now, you can here share your code with millions, he does not understand the feeling. I think to give an analogy, it's the same like using Wikipedia, knowing how to edit an article of Wikipedia and becoming a Wikipedia editor. These are different things. It's a different quality of involvement. And, and this getting involved and understanding that you're part of volunteer force uh, who is worldwide and can make global connections, I think this is, this is extremely uh, powerful feeling. And you can maybe facilitate it, but it's very hard, hard to teach it, especially by textbook or by, uh, by rules. <laughs> Indeed, now I see your point now. Yeah, they need to understand that there is this huge repository of good things out there, but uh, it can remain good or it can become even bigger only if they contribute to it. It doesn't work if you just look at it and take what you need. You you also have to give. And uh, I think this is a point for teachers in the future, how to teach that not also you can, there's many repositories and many code, but there are also thousands of people behind this code and volunteers who organize conferences like Code Week EU. And I have not personally found out how I can get my students involved into this uh, community process. So sometimes I take them to a hacker space or if we have a local conference here in Vienna, I sometimes take them. But this is something very difficult to give them the understanding that they actually can be part of a community and there are other humans with which you can connect. And uh, before we close it, Horst, would you like to say anything else that we haven't touched upon yet? And do you think it would be important that uh, people hear in the podcast? I think it's more important to take the children, look, in the next city, 100 kilometers away, uh, next month is a free maker fair, or a JavaScript conference or whatever, and a real meeting. Is it Just uh, push them there to, to see, to smell, to feel, to make connections, to, to see, look, this boy is your age and he already made his own drone and, and you can do this. And, uh, and I think this is uh, extremely valuable. I'm really looking forward when the next uh, Chaos Computer Congress in Germany Uh, start again, or when the next uh, maker fairs, I think they now in, in rural Europe create conferences again, or when the next non-online uh, conference uh, starts again, and also like uh, Code Week EU meetings. Uh, I think this is this is super. In the end, we all social beings and, and crave and, and enjoy community of others who, who think along our lines and and to create friendships. And if you can teach this, uh, your students and your child, I think this is the maybe more important than another programming language or some super skill who is out of date anyway four years later. Thank you, Horst. Uh, you, I think you are an excellent teacher. You are very, very passionate about what you are uh, doing and it would be great to be your student. Believe it or not, but we have already reached the end for today. I guess that was a lot of information for you and we hope you had fun and also learned something new and were inspired. In case you now got really interested in learning or teaching coding, we invite you to check codeweek.eu. 
There you can find some excellent tutorials on how to get started. That's it from our side. Thank you very much for joining us today, Horst. Thank you. See you next time for a new episode of our Code Week podcast where we take a deep dive into the exciting world of programming. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>